Not long ago, I was looking through a file of my old sermons, and I came across one that caught my attention. And I took the time to sit down and read through it. It was my final message to the church that I had helped to plant and which I pastored for eight years. And as I read that message, that final sermon to that congregation, I, a flood of memories came back to me of the people and the events from those years. The baptisms, the weddings, the funerals, the seasons of celebration, and the seasons of deep challenge and difficulty. I felt the joys, and I felt the frustrations all over again. But mostly, my heart was once again turned toward these people with whom we had shared life and ministry. What do you say in your final message to a congregation that, that you have loved, that you have shepherded, that you have nurtured and guided through the years? Well, over these past several months, we have been studying this letter of 1 John. And in many ways, it reminds me of that sermon to my congregation. Here is a letter from, from the heart of a pastor to, to his beloved congregation, reminding them again of things that he has probably told them a number of times. And what comes through loud and clear in this letter is a loving pastor's heart to a congregation that he has loved, that he has shared life with. And today we're going to wrap up our, our series in this letter. And as we look at these final verses, I want to highlight four themes that John has been emphasizing all through the letter. We see them in some ways summarized in these verses. We're looking today at 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. As I said, I want to look at four themes that we find here in these verses, but more importantly, as a wrap-up to this letter, this love letter from a pastor to his congregation. 
Theme number one that John is emphasizing is the fact that Jesus has come. We see that here in verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. This is one of John's great themes throughout this whole letter, and not just throughout the letter, but, but in his gospel as well. He states his whole purpose for, for writing his gospel, the gospel of John in, in chapter 20, verse, verse 30. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the truth that John begins his whole letter with here. Remember those verses at the very beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. The true and living God has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and we know him intimately. We know him personally as we have relationship with Jesus. But not only that, Jesus says that he is persistently present with us through the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Through the Holy Spirit, God actually makes his home in us. And John wants us to understand that the reality of Jesus isn't just a historical event, but it is a present experience. One of John's favorite words to describe this is the word abide. We see it in, in John chapter 15. We also see it in this letter. As we abide in Christ, he says in chapter 2, verse 6, we walk as Jesus walked. We are transformed into the image of Jesus. So John desperately wants these people and he wants us as well to understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Christ. He is fully God and fully man who relates to each of us, who, who lives within us, who walks with us, who talks with us. We are a community that is defined by him and bears his name. The second theme that John develops in this letter, he says, our enemy is real. You hardly need for me to remind you that we live in a fallen world. I can never remember a time in my life 
when that truth has been more obvious than it is right now. John says here in verse 19 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Earlier in chapter 2, he says, Antichrist is coming, and so many Antichrists have come. We dare not ever forget that there is an enemy of our souls who is at work in this world to do anything he can to steal us away from God. As we see in this letter, he will do anything he can to, to work his way into the lives of people. And I would sum his work up in three words, as I have observed the work of, of the enemy. First, the enemy will seek to divide us. He will do anything he can to separate the flock from one another. He, he will do what he can to tear down communities and to, to drive people away. And that's why John emphasizes in this letter the, the theme of love, because love will always draw us back together, will strengthen our community. Secondly, the enemy will try and distract us. Get us focused on other things, on less important things. I think this is why John warns us so much against falling in love with the things of this world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the, the pride and possessions, as he says in chapter 2, verse 16. It's distracting. It, it gets our attention off of Jesus and it divides our heart. The third way the enemy attempts to work in us, he, the enemy will attempt to destroy us. John reminds these people in, in chapter 5, verse 16, that there is a sin that leads to death. It's what the church historically has called mortal sins. Those who separate themselves from God, who, who walk in darkness, who deny the Father and the Son, as John says in chapter 2, verse 22. We can never forget that the enemy is ruthless and he will do anything he can to capture a human heart and ultimately to destroy that heart. But we are also reminded here in this letter, chapter 5, verse 18, that Jesus protects us and the evil one does not touch us. He says in chapter 4, verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, that is Antichrist, for he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yes, there is an enemy that seeks to divide us and to distract us and to destroy us, but by the power of Jesus, when we are in Christ, he can't touch us. The third theme that John develops in this letter, very clearly, we need each other. John writes as a pastor to a, a church that is, quite frankly, in a bit of a mess. 
Threatened by division and dissension, John appeals to them to love one another. More than anything else, this is the one non-negotiable centerpiece of, of the community that bears Jesus' name. Here in these final verses, notice that John addresses them as a community, not as individuals. Did you notice in the reading how many times he says, we know, or that has been given to us? His deep concern is that the community that bears Jesus' name will look more and more like Jesus. And nothing sums that up more than this one word, love. In this letter, John reminds these people what a true community in Christ looks like. It's a community defined by God's love. It's a community where we realize how very much we need one another, and even with our differences and with our imperfections. This is our lifelong task, to, to cultivate love in all the messiness of life, in our families, in our communities, in our church, in our country, in this world. One of my great concerns about this time in which we are living are the many restrictions that have been placed on us to keep us apart from one another, to, to keep us separated from one another. In the name of keeping healthy, we are told to keep distance from one another. On the one hand, I understand the concerns about that, and I comply with all of the restrictions that have been placed on us. But it goes against everything in me. It goes against my understanding of what it means to be human. And going back even to Genesis, it is not good for, for man or woman to be alone. In fact, God says that is the one thing that is not good in original creation, is to be alone, to be separated. John reminds us here of the importance of standing together as a community, as a church, helping one another keep from sin, help one another stand against the enemy. This isn't something that we do as individuals. This is something that we do as a community, a community of prayer, a community of love, a community of, of common faith, common belief in Jesus. And John is deeply concerned about this community that is showing signs of disintegrating. He says, little children love one another. When we lived in China, I had the privilege of mentoring a young man who in his early years of ministry, and I saw in him such giftedness and commitment for a lifetime of, of service. We had been meeting together for more than a year when his mission agency made a decision, which I didn't agree with, but unfortunately, I couldn't do anything about it. They moved him to a remote town in the Himalayas. One morning, I received the following email from him. 
he says, Dear Tom, by the time you receive this email, I will be on a plane heading back to America. The past six months have taken their toll and I can no longer survive in this place on my own. I have one other couple on my team, but they're from Indonesia and speak no English. We have difficulty communicating with each other and we have no meaningful fellowship. The closest believers are more than an hour away and I see them occasionally. My weight has dropped to 135 pounds. My clothes are literally hanging on me. I'm battling depression and loneliness. At this point, I don't know if I will ever see Asia again. I feel like a failure and I am going home to try and figure out what to do next. You see, brothers and sisters, the enemy of our souls loves it when we are separated from the flock. You don't have to move to a remote town in the Himalayas to experience that kind of isolation. I have seen it right here in our community. I have heard those kinds of words from people all over the world. These days, I have been reminded again, and probably you have too, how much we need the support of a loving community. We need to give ourselves to one another and contribute to our community. John says, we need each other. We need to love and serve and support one another. Theme number four, John says, hold firm to what is true. He says that in a funny little way, but it comes through in so many ways here throughout this letter. He says, stay away, keep yourselves from idols. What a funny way to end this letter. It seems to come out of nowhere, but really it's in the context of the letter as a whole. Keep yourselves, he says. In fact, that term, keep yourselves, is a very strong word. Literally, guard yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Be watchful, be vigilant. It's a defensive word that reminds us that we can never rest. We can never let down our guard. But given what John has been saying in this letter about the reality of God, the truth of Jesus, the confidence of our faith, this final word is a powerful reminder not to abandon what is real and what is true for what is false, for what is an illusion. In contrast to the true God, Idols are an illusion. They, they are unsubstantial. They, they evoke the idea of an appearance, but they are unreal. There is nothing to them. John has given us in this letter a stark contrast between what is true and what is false. 
God has made himself known in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the one he says that we have heard, that we have seen, that, that we have touched. He is real and he is true. He uses these words again and again here in these, in these verses. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Do you get the point that John is making here? The true God. Remember those words in Psalm 115. The psalmist reminds us that idols have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. They have feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound with their throat. But I think that the really powerful word at the end of that, the result is those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. We can never get far from the truth that we become like the thing that we love. We are made into the image of the thing, of the God that we worship. So John leaves us with this, this final challenge. Which God will you worship? the real, true, living God manifest in the person of Jesus Christ or an illusion, the God of your own making. Something that would, that would divide and, and distract or destroy you. So this is John's letter, exposing the, the, the loving heart of a pastor to his beloved congregation. His desire in this letter is to help us to imagine a community in intimate fellowship with God, standing against everything that God opposes, enjoying the fullness of freedom in Jesus, and living in loving, prayerful community with one another. What a beautiful vision of the church and what a beautiful vision for us as a congregation to pray and to strive for.